Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Check out the self-pour beer wall at Walters. Walters is located across the street from Nationals Park. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard. Walters is your spot for all of the NBA playoffs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Walls two strikes on Hernandez. Arias the set at the belt. He fires. And a swing and a ground ball. Base hit into left field. Robles rounding third being waved in. He will score. The throw in from Lux is cut off and the Nationals have the lead. It's the Nationals one and the Dodgers nothing here in the sixth inning. Here's the set on three and two. The runners go. The kick and the pitch. Swung on. Hit in the air to deep right center. Soto going back. Way back on the warning track. He's there and he makes the catch right up against the fence. And bang, zoom, a curly W, barely in the books as the Nationals hold off the Dodgers and shut them out for the first time all year. The Dodgers blanked here at Nationals Park. And welcome to Nats Chat for Thursday, May 26, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. We have said so often so far this season that when the Nats score a lot of runs, the Nats win. Well, the Nats on Wednesday scored a mere one run, but the Nats won and they beat the National League leading Los Angeles Dodgers. A one nothing win over the Dodgers at Nationals Park to avoid a three game sweep. This was just the Nats 15th win in 45 games this season. This was just the Nats ninth win in 32 games since a 6-7 and seven start to the season. And here, I think, is my favorite little nugget about this game. So Tanner Rainey, as you may know, is the Nats' closer. He on Wednesday got the save. This was his first save since April 19th. Wednesday was May 25th. It had been more than a month since the Nats' closer this season had gotten a save. Think about that. And yes, some of that is on him. He had blown each of his two previous save chances. But a lot of this is just the Nats haven't been in position to win games. Mark, what we saw on Wednesday, the Nats leading, maintaining the lead, and coming away with a one nothing shutout win, this seemed like a foreign concept. But it happened, and it was nice to see. It was a unicorn, Al. <laughs> Rarely seen. You know, Maybe once in your lifetime, you're lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time and see it. And yeah, you're right. It's Rainey's first save in more than a month. But I mean, he only had two, and I know he blew both of them, but it's not like he's had a bunch of these opportunities. 
it was a sight to see. And I will be honest, I did not think a one nothing lead was going to hold up in that game. It felt like the Dodgers were going to break through at some point. And when the Nationals kept squandering opportunities to add to the one nothing lead, which they had in, I think, the sixth and the seventh, you're thinking this is going to come back to haunt them. I feel like we've been here before. To their credit, they buckled down. They got the job done and uh, a couple harrowing moments late, but they pulled it off. And that, that's the first time the Dodgers have been shut out since last August. So they did something right in this game. And credit to them, to Eric Fetty, Carl Edwards Jr., Kyle Finnegan, and Tanner Rainey. And you can see that every once in a while, the plan actually comes to fruition and it works out. Once every 45 games, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> we saw that. That's not a great rate, but uh, yeah, it worked. We'll take it. We'll take it. There are some things to complain about with this game. The Nats did score only one run. We had multiple base running blunders by the Nats, but we'll save the negativity for later in the show. Let's focus on the positives. And how about Eric Fetty? You know, I've said that Fetty has been the Nats' second best starting pitcher this season. I think we now have to give him the championship belt of being the Nats' best starting pitcher this season. With the struggles of Josiah Gray, Eric Fetty on Wednesday was good, really good. I mean, facing the mighty Dodgers, right? The Dodgers who had scored a total of 19 runs over the first two games of this series. Fetty goes out there and he tosses six scoreless innings, uh, six strikeouts versus one walk. He gave up just four hits, two doubles and two singles. Uh, He threw 90 pitches, 58 strikes versus 32 balls. Now, he did do his Fetty thing of, you know, for the most part, not having clean innings. His only clean inning was a perfect top of the sixth inning. But look, at the end of the day, six shutout innings against the Dodgers. You love seeing that. And I mean, Mark, to me, it's this game or the game that Fetty had in Colorado, that May 3rd game, the 10-2 win, one run in seven innings. Take your pick in terms of the best Eric Fetty start so far this season. Uh, Hats off to him. He did a really nice job on Wednesday. He did. I'll add another one, the uh, five scoreless against the Angels. I know he had five walks in that game. He was in trouble throughout, but he had to make some big pitches against some tough hitters in that game, and I thought that was an important one for him. But I'm looking at his game log here, and now nine starts in. I count one, two, three, four, five, six. Now seven of his nine starts, he's allowed two or fewer runs. And among the teams that he's done that to are the Mets and the Rockies and the Angels and the Brewers and now the Dodgers. These are some tough opponents that he's doing this against. And would you believe that Eric Fetty's ERA right now for the season is 355? That's really solid. He is stepping up in a way that we haven't seen aside from maybe that little stretch right around this time last year, as a matter of fact, that he got good and he had the ERA in the low threes, I think, at one point. Now you just hope he can sustain it. We had this conversation in the press box during the game. We got a long way to go until this comes up. But if you had to pick a Nationals all-star right now, he might actually be in the conversation, believe it or not. Yeah, I mean, you would have said Josh Bell a few weeks ago, but Bell has really cooled off. I mean, it's not like you have a mile-long list of candidates, but yeah, Fetty's name might come up. I mean, I think it's tricky with Fetty because it's hard not to look at him through the prism of where he was drafted, right? First round pick, we've been waiting years for him to blossom. It hasn't happened. It's probably never going to happen to the extent that we all wanted it to happen. So if you hold him to the standard of he was a 2014 first round pick, he was drafted to be an ace or close to an ace, well, he's a disappointment. But if this is who he was, 355 ERA, Eric Fetty, there's value in that. Like, there's nothing wrong with that in the bigger picture. That's a number three starter. On some staffs, that's a number two starter. On a really bad staff, that's a number one starter like this staff. But you can work with that. You can obviously use that and uh, enjoy that for years to come. Now, you mentioned last season, 
To me, this is the concern, or, or at least the uh, the thing in the back of your mind. We saw this last season. He did this last season. First 10 starts last season, ERA of 3.33. He ended up finishing the 2021 season with an ERA of 5.47. So here we are now this season, nine starts in, 3.55 ERA. So like Yogi once said, it's deja vu all over again. Let's see how it plays out. But all we can go by is what we've seen so far. And it's been nice to see this. And you know, it's like, I think we sometimes, and I know I can be guilty of this. You're like, oh, he only went five innings. Okay. But you know, if it's two runs in five innings, I'll take that over Patrick Corbin's 660 ERA. You know what I mean? You can operate with this. And so it's been very nice to see this. I mean, we talked in the offseason, maybe the Nats should uh, not tender Fetty a contract, right? Imagine if, <laughs> imagine if they had done that. He's been their best starting pitcher so far this season. Yeah, no, they have desperately needed him. And I think that's the reason that, you know, they didn't make that move in the offseason because they knew what if Steven Strasburg isn't ready? What if Joe Ross isn't ready? What if other guys struggle? So kudos to him, though, for taking this opportunity and making the most of it. Yes, you do have those concerns in the back of your mind, knowing the history. But remember, last year, he hurt his oblique, and that kind of messed it up. And he also had COVID for a brief while, or it was he didn't actually have it, but he was the uh, close contact. And so he had to, to miss some time. So there was that. And then I think he wore down at the end of the year. Maybe he's a little bit stronger now, I think there's also a little bit of maturity on his part. The way he's going about this and how he's getting hitters out, I think I've seen a maturation and a, a little bit of a step up from him. He's kind of taken a role. I remember from spring training feeling like he's walking around with a little more confidence and understanding that now with Max Scherzer gone and Strasburg hurt and Corbin not being the pitcher that he once was, that he's honestly one of the veterans now one of the more established guys. And he's sort of taken that to heart and wanted to take on more of a leadership role with this team. So I give him a lot of credit. Now, let's see. You don't want to get too excited yet. But there's been a lot of good stuff here. And I like, like I said, he's doing this against some good lineups. He's not just feasting on bad uh, opposition. Like you said, there has been a consistency to him for the most part. He had that one blow-up start, but aside from that game, it's been pretty consistent. Like, you don't really fear him getting wrecked. I mean, the thing you fear with him is him being inefficient and him throwing like, you know, 85 pitches over four innings, that sort of a thing. And he still does kind of sort of do that. But pretty consistently, he'll give you five innings, maybe six innings. It's, you know, two runs or less, three runs or less. And again, that's functional. Like you can work with that. So the biggest thing he did in this game, because he was in danger of the pitch count getting him, he's at 75 pitches through four innings, despite four scoreless innings. And then what does he do? He gets his last six outs on 15 total pitches. And he did that by facing the top of the Dodgers lineup a third time. So to get those last outs, he gets Trey Turner to hit into a double play, gets Freddie Freeman on a strikeout, and gets Justin Turner on a pop-up. So that, again, the Eric Fetty of the past, seeing the finish line coming up, pitch count getting a little higher, maybe he doesn't come through like that. I thought that's another sign of that development and that maturity from him to get good hitters out a third time and finish a start strong. So good job by Eric Fetty on Wednesday. Good job by the Nats bullpen on Wednesday. Three relievers combined for three scoreless innings. I mean, this is how I think Davey envisioned it. Someone in the seventh, not necessarily Carl Edwards Jr., but that is the guy right now. Edwards has looked pretty good, to be honest with you, uh, at least in his recent outings. Scoreless top of the seventh. Kyle Finnegan, scoreless top of the eighth. And then Tanner Rainey, save number one since April 19th, the scoreless top of the ninth. Did issue a one-out five-pitch walk of Max Muncy. Did give up a one-out single of Gavin Lux. Given those two recent blown saves, I think we all were kind of wondering, okay, is this going to happen, especially against the Dodgers? But Rainey gets the job done. And, you know, it's nice to have not just a one nothing win, but a win in which, like, everything goes according to plan. You get 
a lead and you maintain the lead with your bullpen. You know, like how often has that happened this season? Not very often. Hardly at all. Like we keep talking about the games they win, they've generally been up by a bunch of runs. And yeah, maybe Finnegan and Rainey pitch the eighth and the ninth, but not in a pressure situation like this. So I think that's big for them all to come through. Carl Edwards Jr., remember the first outing was kind of a disaster and he cost him a game. And he vowed afterwards that he wouldn't ever let that happen again. Well, he hasn't. Been scoreless ball ever since. So good for him for doing that. I'm most impressed with Finnegan in the big picture here. He's blowing away some really good hitters with a good fastball. 97, 98. He in that inning gets Mookie Betts, strikes him out. Uh, He gets Justin Turner to pop out. The only real mistake there, a single to Trey Turner. And the problem is when you give a, a single to Trey Turner, you know that's essentially a double and Trey stole second off him. They end up intentionally walking Freddie Freeman, but kudos to Finnegan for then getting Justin Turner and Edwin Rios out. Uh, I've been really impressed with what he's done on a more consistent basis this year. And then Rainey, yeah, there's those two obviously notable blown saves, but he's still got a 284 ERA. Pretty much every other outing this year, he's been outstanding. And in this case, he did get in a little trouble, a one-out walk, followed by a single, now tying runs in scoring position, and he... Got the job done with a little bit of drama on the last batter. Will Smith hit it to the warning track in right, but he got it done. And I think that's a bit of a confidence boost for Tanner because, like we said, just hasn't been in this position that much. You'd like to see it finally happen and against a really good team like this. There are a number of games in which we say the Nats bullpen did a pretty good job. Now, there have been games, certainly, in which the bullpen has not done well. And there are some Nats relievers with some ugly numbers. And if you look at the overall bullpen ERA for the Nats now this season, it's 411, which isn't, you know, an atrocity, but it's also not like elite or anything like that. Maybe this is more of a feel thing than an actual thing. It feels to me, though, like the bullpen has been better than we expected, or at the very least has been decent. It hasn't been the Nats' biggest problem. It certainly has been the Nats' biggest problem in prior seasons. You don't know what to think going into a season with these Nats' bullpens. Maybe our expectations are low. I feel like it has been better than what we thought it would be. I agree, and I think I would put it this way. If I told you on opening day that 45 games in, they would have two blown saves, would you say that's pretty good? I think I would say that. Yeah, I mean, that's a function also of not having had many save opportunities. Okay, but the point is that when the bullpen hasn't been good, it's usually once they're already trailing because the starting pitcher hasn't done their job. When the starter puts them in a position to do well, I feel like they're better relievers. The A bullpen, remember in the beginning of the year, we were talking about that so much. They've done a good job in the bigger picture, I think. And you've actually seen a few other guys now have to step up with Sean Doolittle hurt, Hunter Harvey hurt, Steve Ciszek hasn't always been the guy that maybe we thought he'd be late in games. He's been pitching a little earlier, but you've seen Victor Arano do pretty well. You've now seen Carl Edwards Jr. do well, obviously Finnegan and Rainey at the end. So they have the makings of something there and they have some decent options. And if they ever get any of these other guys back healthy, they might actually have some legitimate depth. It's just a matter of the starters and the lineup actually putting them in a position to start doing this more regularly. And I think that's more on them than it is on the bullpen. When we talk about potential trade chips, right, obviously an older reliever, Mike Rizzo, is going to be more than willing to deal. Do you think he would be willing to deal a Tanner Rainey or a Kyle Finnegan this year? Or do you think he views a younger reliever as a piece, as a building block, and thus would not trade either guy, even if either guy is having a really good 2022? It's such a tricky question, I think, because think of how much they have struggled to develop their own quality late inning relievers over the years. They've had 
all kinds of trouble. That's why almost every year they were in contention. They found themselves in the market for a closer or a setup man, maybe even both come July. So I feel like if you're Mike Rizzo, you're saying we may finally have a couple of them and they're under team control and don't cost us very much. Let's keep them around. By the same token, there is value there. You always say the last thing that a a losing or rebuilding team should be spending money on or worried about is a late inning relievers that you can always find another one. But I think we've seen it's not as easy to find other ones as we want to believe that it is. So my hunch would be he would really have to be blown away with an offer for one or both of them to make that move. You know, I think it also boils down to how soon does he feel like this team is going to be ready to win again? If it could be within two years and you think Rainey and Finnegan would be a part of that, you don't want to make that move. If you think it's further down the road, maybe that's a different story and you realize we're going to have a different bullpen by that point anyways. Yeah, it's, it is tough because relievers are so fickle and so year to year. And when a reliever is having a great season, unless his last name is Rivera, you should not count on that reliever having that kind of a year the following year. So it's like you buy low, you sell high. At the same time, for this team with its history with relievers, if you have two good ones who are young and under team control, man, that would be a tough pill to swallow trading those guys away. I understand that dilemma. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Juan Soto? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of legal headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202 486 3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a Rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. There they go. Here it comes. Swinging a ground ball toward the left side. It's backhanded deep and short by Turner. He drops the ball. Escobar trying to score, and he's going to be thrown out. He's hung up. Will Smith throws to Turner, who eludes the tag. Escobar with the throw to Justin Turner at third, and Escobar is out. There are two men there anyway, and Justin Turner's tagging both of them. All right, so the Nats offense on Wednesday was bad again. Uh, Just one run, just six hits, which were two doubles and four singles. Uh, Nats worked three walks, but when... Two for 10 with runners in scoring position. The lone run in the game came in the bottom of the sixth inning on a Cesar Hernandez RBI single through the left side of the infield on an 0-2 pitch. Uh, Cesar on Wednesday going one for four with that RBI single. But also for the Nats in that bottom of the sixth inning was more sloppiness on the base pass. This was another inning for the Nats this season in which, yeah, the Nats scored a run. But obviously, uh, more could have been done. You know, it, it was a one-run inning that could have been a two-run, three-run inning. So, Alcides Escobar in the inning, 
had a bunt single. And the bunt single was impressive. Let me give him credit. Alcides in that one run six, a beautiful bunt single toward the third base side on an 0-2 pitch. How often do you see that? A guy bunting down 0-2. And I'll say this about the Nats, between Escobar and Victor Robles and uh, D-Strange Gordon, this team can bunt, okay? This team can't hit homers, but this team can bunt. It is an impressive thing to see. Every time they try to bunt, they get the job done. But then Escobar later in the inning gets caught in a rundown between third base and home plate. He got tagged out for the third out. And this happened on a Nelson Cruz two-out full count single to Dodgers shortstop, a man we know well, Trey Turner, deep in the hole. Now, Trey actually dropped the baseball. Escobar, who had been on second, ends up trying to score. He then realizes that, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble, runs back toward third, gets tagged out and sliding back to third base, where, by the way, Cesar Hernandez had landed off having been at first base. So for the second time in, I don't know, two weeks, whatever it is, we have two Nats players at a base. This has happened multiple times in recent weeks. And then there was another base running blunder we can get to in a moment. But what did you make of this sequence here in this sixth inning? All right. In the moment, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I can't believe they just did this again. And how did they let that happen? Because, of course, it's not the first time we've seen a base running mistake like that that feels like in the moment it could cost them the game. Okay, this wasn't in a blowout. You know, it felt like this was going to be the difference in the game potentially. But in hearing what Davey Martinez had to say about it afterwards and thinking about it, I can understand the mindset. He actually called it. Davey called it a heads up play by Escobar. The thought is that with two outs and a ground ball in the hole at shortstop, you round third and the idea is you keep running because if the throw to first is late or if it gets away, you now score the run. Not a lot of danger in trying to do that. And so what ends up happening, because Trey Turner bobbled it, it kind of screwed that up. He never had to make the throw to first and now instead he makes the throw to the plate. What I'll say about it though, you know, this is not apparently what the conventional baseball wisdom would say about it, but just my observation having seen things like this before. I get the idea of being aggressive and rounding the base. I feel like I would rather look over my shoulder and make sure where the ball is before I then take off for the plate. Because if he holds onto it, get back to third. I'll also say I could swear I have seen Trey Turner make that play before. A runner on second, grounder to the hole, and rather than throwing to first, he immediately back picks the guy at third, would throw it to Rendon, and I feel like I've seen him throw guys out like that before. Yeah, I would also throw this into the mix too. Who is up next? Josh Bell. Now, I know that he's struggling right now, but he's still Josh Bell. He still, in theory, is one of your better batters. How about just staying on third base and letting Josh Bell go to work? And let's see what happens here. I hate that we keep seeing this. The Nats run themselves into outs. It keeps happening over and over and over again. So, We had that base running boo-boo by the Nats, and we also had a Juan Soto base running boo-boo, and Soto's had a few of these now this season. So first of all, Soto had another underwhelming game. Uh, Soto on Wednesday, 0 for 3 with a walk. Uh, He, in the bottom of the fourth, drew a two-out, five-pitch walk, but he then got picked off and caught stealing second base on a 1-3-4 out for the third out, and this happened with Nelson Cruz batting. There goes the runner, and they've got him picked off. Freeman throws to second, and Soto's an easy out. You know, look, Nelson Cruz still isn't hitting for power, but he's piling up the hits right now. I mean, I think if you have to say who's the hottest Nats hitter right now, I think the answer probably is Nelson Cruz. He's not doing it in the way we anticipated, but he's getting a lot of hits. He's going the opposite way a bunch. He had a double on Wednesday. So Cruz is batting. You know, it's not like Victor Robles who's batting. Cruz is batting, and the Nats, again, run themselves into a third out. That's the other thing, too. These are third outs that the Nats are running themselves into. And like I said, 
This has happened a few times now with Soto, where he has been a sinner in the uh, base running sins committed by the Nets. Yeah, and you were talking about Cruz. In this game, he hit the ball really hard in his first at-bat, drove the ball to the warning track in center, then the double to right in the fifth, and then the infield single didn't hit it that hard in the sixth. But I agree, at the moment, he is a bigger threat at the plate, certainly, than Juan Soto is. And because Josh Bell has been struggling the last several weeks, I think you would say that as well. Soto also had a bad route on a ball in right field. He is not playing clean baseball right now. I don't know if that's the pressure of his struggles at the plate wearing on him. If it's the losses by the team, I don't know what exactly that is. But I would say that on a team in which there's been a lot of fundamental mistakes, Juan is on the list of guys who is doing that. And that is particularly discouraging to see because you want him to be setting the example for the others not setting an example the wrong way by making outs and not making plays in the field. We, we had the, the ball lost in the twilight the other night. Like There have been a lot of things here with Soto that are not what you think of with Juan Soto. No. And if he wasn't Juan Soto, I think the conversation would be a little different right now. I mean, he fell short in another big spot in this game. Bite of the six. He's up with runners on first and second. One out. Nats are up one nothing. He strikes out looking on eight pitches. Like... You want to bat with runners in scoring position? You want to bat with men on base? There's another opportunity, okay? And he doesn't come through. You know, we're not used to this with Juan Soto. His OPS for the season through games on May 5th was 927. His OPS now is 814. His OPS for the season over the last 20 days, May 6th through the 25th, has plummeted by 113 points. I mean, that's a pretty severe slump. In three weeks, your OPS goes down 113 points. I know we're not super deep into the season, but, you know, we're more than a quarter of a way into the season. It's not like the first week of April or anything like that. So, got to get Juan Soto going. He will get going. I mean, it's hard to think that this is what he's going to be the rest of the season. But I think what you just brought up is what stands out. It's not just that he's like slumping at the plate. He's guilty of the sloppiness. You know, when we talk about Nat's sloppiness, it's not Kiebert Ruiz doing these things. It's not, you know, Lane Thomas even necessarily doing these things. It's Juan Soto. We've seen Josh Bell. We've seen Alcides Escobar and Michael Franco and Cesar Hernandez. And it's like, (laughs) these guys are supposed to know better. And they don't always demonstrate that with their actions. Yeah. And I think for a while we talked about, oh, they're just trying to do too much to make things happen. And maybe there's still a little bit of that going on. But you reach a certain point that you have to learn your lesson. You know, don't do that again if it's already happened to you at least once this year. The thing about Soto and offensively, you know, he was in a similar position last year. We talked about it plenty. But think about how he was doing it. He was hitting a ton of ground balls and they were usually hard ground balls. And we kept saying, well, he just needs to elevate it. And all of a sudden it's going to change. It's not the same hard contact this time. It's a lot of ground balls again, but also some strikeouts looking really foolish on certain pitches. And it's not a lot of solid contact. It's a lot of weak contact, as a matter of fact. That has me a little bit more concerned than what we saw last year. I agree in the long run, he's Juan Soto. He's going to be just fine. But the way that he is slumping right now is a different kind of slump than we've seen from him in the past. You know, you know me, I don't care that much about batting average, but it does stand out when you see that Juan Soto is batting 236. I mean, whatever you think about batting average, <laughs> we're not used to seeing that, a 236 next to Juan Soto's name. Juan Soto's hitting 236, Nelson Cruz is hitting 227. There's only nine points difference between them. Would you have said that three weeks ago? Would you have seen that coming? No, not at all. You know, it's it's funny with Cruz. So he goes two for three on Wednesday with a double and a single. Cruz's slash line in May, 314 batting average, lovely. 355 on base, lovely. 443 slugging. So he's, you know, the power... It- 
that's not like awful, but like he's here to slug 500. We get that he's not doing that this year, but he is having a pretty good month of May. He is getting on base. He is piling up hits. We are seeing that. And I'd love to know the percent of the time this month that his hits have gone to the opposite field because it feels like every hit right now is to right field. Every hit right now is to the opposite field, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but it feels like automatic right now with him. He's doing what so many others in this lineup need to be doing right now. Everybody's getting pitched away, away, away. It feels like everybody's reaching for those and they end up rolling it over and grounding it or popping it up weekly. He's actually getting those pitches and sort of driving them to the opposite field for hits. It's what Soto is so good at. It's what Bell, when he was going well, is good at. The rest of those guys need to take some cues here from Nelson Cruz because I think his approach in the way he's being pitched can teach them all something about how to get hits on pitches like that. If you know you want to get a pitch on the inner half and turn on it and blast it, they're not getting many of those right now. And to his credit, Nelson is taking what they're giving him and actually being productive as a result. Yeah. Nelson had a steal the other day, a double steal with Cabert Ruiz. Who the heck saw that coming? That was not called, by the way. Oh, really? Cabert read that one, and Nelson is standing on first looking at it thinking, what are you doing? Oh, my God, I better go, too, and ends up on the back end getting the stolen base. He was pretty happy about that, but that was not a called double steal for the record. No, and he just suffered that right ankle sprain. Yes. Age 41 season, and he's a big dude. So, yeah, you're definitely not calling that one, no doubt. On a ball inside, the most unlikely pairing maybe in Nationals history for a double steal, Kbert Ruiz and Nelson Cruz. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It's graduation season, and so that means it is Window Nation's graduation sale. If your old windows are failing or just not making the grade, here's a homework assignment. Call Window Nation and get to the head of the class with 0% financing for five full years, 60 months, and get two free windows with every two that you buy. Window Nation windows are the best. They are made right here locally in the Washington, D.C., Baltimore area. Over 1,500 custom window combinations are available. Vinyl, wood, fiberglass. Price quotes are valid for six months. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. You know, the longer that you have old drafty windows, the more money that you're wasting on your heating and cooling bills. Window Nation has saved customers over $60 million on energy bills. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you ask Window Nation for the graduation sale that you heard about from Al Galdi. That's 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com and get the special offer. Mention my name, Al Galdi, when you talk to Window Nation. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Joe had to get pulled out of the game. Felt a little tightness in his right elbow. Um, so he finished uh, three innings and then um, couldn't go out for the four. So he's getting an MRI. I don't have, we don't have any results yet. Um, we'll know hopefully some by this afternoon. Um, Steven uh, completed his uh, 60 pitches, two and two-thirds. Um, the good news is he felt, he felt good. Um, he's sore today. Uh, but it's typical soreness, so, um, but he'll, he'll get ready uh, to throw again in five days. So we on Wednesday got updates on Steven Strasburg and Joe Raw. So on Tuesday night, each guy made the first start in his minor league rehab assignment. And, you know, it's odd how these things can go. So Strasburg on Tuesday night in terms of his results was not impressive. Ross on Tuesday night in terms of his results actually was rather impressive. But as we know with these minor league rehab starts, it's not always about the results. It's just about like how the guy feels after the start and also maybe some of the peripherals. So we find out on Wednesday, Strasburg feels good. That's good. But Ross actually got pulled from his outing early because his elbow tightened up. And you guys get told on Wednesday that Joe Ross now is going to undergo an MRI exam. That is not good news at all. It is not good. And like you said, it's a reminder of how you have to be careful not just reading the box score lines from these rehab starts. It's about so much more than that. You would have thought, based on that, that Joe Ross had the better outing of the two. Turns out it was not. There is some real concern here about what this might mean. Let's go through the history. Tommy John surgery in 2017 comes back last summer, has to be shut down with a partial tear of the elbow ligament rather than Going all the way and having his second Tommy John surgery, they decide we're going to rehab this, we're going to rest it, come back the next year. During his comeback this spring, he's still feeling something in his elbow. They take an MRI, they find a bone spur that has to be removed. So they remove that. Now he's finally, you know, in the final stages of his recovery from that. And in his first minor league start, the first two innings, he said he felt great. He was throwing 95. In the third inning, he felt the elbow tighten up. They decided that the velocity went down. They decided let's not take a chance of putting him back out there for any more. Let's send him for the MRI. We should have some results on Thursday. You hope for the best here and that it isn't anything more significant, but there is legitimate concern in the organization that this could be something bad and maybe 
what they'd been trying to avoid for the last almost calendar year. Uh, you hope that's not the case, but it is certainly in the back of everyone's minds right now. Yeah, man. I mean, one start into your minor league rehab assignment and you need another MRI. I mean, that's just that's about as worst case scenario as it can be. And, you know, you think about Joe Ross. Strasburg gets talked all the time about being injury prone. And there obviously is truth in that. Joe Ross, over the last five major league seasons, and I'm talking about coming into this season, 2017 through 2021, totaled 261 and two-thirds major league innings. He was good for the Nats in 2015 and 16. Since then, a whole lot in the way of injury, a whole lot in the way of ineffectiveness. He opted out of the 2020 season due to COVID. He has barely pitched for the Nats at the major league level over the last, I mean, think about that, five years, and now you add this season, that's five plus seasons. That is a lot of missed time. It's been tough, man. A lot of injuries for him. He is talented. We know that. We saw, I mean, I remember 15 and 16, we were talking about him as maybe not the next ace for the Nats, but, you know, that next number two, number three starter who you feel good about year in, year out. The Trey Turner trade, it wasn't just the Trey Turner trade, it was the Trey Turner Joe Ross trade. And uh, isn't it interesting, Trey Turner returns in this series, and during this series, we see these latest uh, trials and tribulations here for Joe Ross. So he's obviously being shut down for now, and any notion of him coming back to pitch in the majors early to mid-June, that's not happening, right? Yeah, I would think even if the MRI comes back clean, you have to back off a little bit. You can't just say, okay, you're going to go start again in five days. So I don't know what the plan would be exactly, but you would think it's at least a little bit of a shutdown situation here. And, you know, I can't help but think not just about him, but his brother, Tyson Ross, who has a very similar career trajectory, a lot of good stuff from him early in his career, but a ton of injuries and never... Uh, realized his full potential, and I believe he's out of the game now. I don't think he has uh, attempted to pitch in the last couple of years. You hope that's not the outcome here for Joe, but even we've talked about this too. This is his contract year. So even if it's nothing super devastating for him, it's more time that he has to miss uh, at a time in his career when he needs to be on the mound pitching and show everybody, whether it's the Nationals or someone else, that he still has the ability to be a big league starter you feel for him because obviously he didn't want any of this to happen, but it's been a tough road for him and it seems like he just can't get over this hump. So maybe we'll find out more on Thursday, but I think everyone's braced for some bad news here. So with Strasburg on Tuesday night, I mean, the results weren't good in terms of what happened on the field. Three runs, two and two thirds innings. He gave up three hits. He struggled with his control big time. Four walks, two wild pitches. He threw 61 pitches, just 31 strikes versus 30 balls. And he did this at the lower level. Ross made his start for double-A Harrisburg. Strasburg made his for low-A Fredericksburg. Do the Nats care about those results with Strasburg, or is it really just about how he feels the next day and what actually happened to the game really doesn't matter too much? First and foremost, it's how does he feel? And he said he talked to us in the clubhouse before the game. He was encouraged by how he felt. He said he has normal soreness day after his start, which he was thrilled with. He hasn't had that feeling in a long time. So you'd say, wait a minute, he's, he's sore? That's not good. No, it's actually very good to have that kind of soreness. So he was very pleased with that and was pleased with how he was able to pitch competitively. This is the first time he's done this in a really long time, and he barely did it last year, and he barely did it the year before that. So it's not like he's been in these situations very much since the World Series in 2019. Now, he acknowledges that the stuff was not sharp at all. And he knows that that still has to come. But he would rather try to figure that stuff out 
then try to get himself healthy. So he feels like he's healthy. And now it's a matter of getting a feel for his pitches, being in competitive games again. You know, it's almost more like a it was a first spring training start and he had some walks and the pitch count was high and he gave up some hits. Like you can deal with that and say, okay, what do I need now to work on from a pitching standpoint? But let's also remember, he's still adapting and learning as a pitcher. He's not going to have the stuff that he had earlier in his career. He knows that he acknowledges that. So he is still learning how to be an effective pitcher with the stuff that he has now and coming off a surgery that again, he acknowledges There's no clear roadmap for this. It's not like Tommy John where everybody knows exactly how it's supposed to go. So he's acknowledging there's some uncertainty in all this, and he is still feeling this out day to day. But big picture, he was pleased to be on the mound, pitching in a competitive game, get to his allotted pitch count of 60, and to have a good soreness the day after. Next up for the Nats is a four-game series against the Colorado Rockies at Nationals Park Thursday through Sunday, game one of the series Thursday night at 7.05. Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. You tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast, hit up Tim Shovers. That email address again is NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. So Steven Strasburg on Tuesday night made his minor league rehab start for the Fred Nats. For more now on the Fred Nats and on Strasburg's minor league rehab assignment start, We bring you this voice memo from Eric Bach. Eric Bach here with a Fredericksburg Nationals update. It's been a bit of a rough patch for the Fred Nats here in Fredericksburg. Lost seven out of eight. The offense has sputtered a bit, mostly because they have just gone completely silent with runners in scoring position. In this eight-game stretch, they're hitting under 100 with men in scoring position. And out of those seven losses, five of them have been by two runs or less. So they're right there. Somebody's just got to get a couple big hits. This thing will be turned right around. Two games back in the first half in the Carolina League North Division right now heading into play tonight. Speaking of tonight, we've got a first rounder on the mound following up Steven Strasburg's rehab appearance last night. It's Mason Denenberg, 2018 first round pick, 27th overall, will be making his first appearance since 2019. Since being drafted in June of 2018, the guy has only pitched 20 and two-thirds innings professionally. Just has really struggled with some injury problems, but hopefully those are in his past. He'll start tonight for the Fred Nats. Rodney Theofield's been great on the mound. He's second in the Carolina League in ERA at 1.66. Brady House and Jeremy De La Rosa continue to hit. De La Rosa leads the Carolina League in a bunch of meaningful offensive statistical categories, and some other guys have really surprised as well. Leandro Emiliane and Viandel Pena, to name a couple guys that have really blossomed so far in 22 in Fredericksburg. So, This is Eric Bach with your Fred Nats report. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.